Good morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Jason Tyrell. I'm one of the elders of Joy Community Fellowship of Pittman. Um, and uh, it's great to be with you again two times in three weeks. So Ben, ben told me I'm uh, now the associate pastor of this church. Uh, so yeah, it's great to be with you. Uh, I bring greetings again from Joy Community Fellowship of Pittman. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Um, and I know, and Jeremy prayed this, but, but as with any holiday, uh, it, they are mixed bags. Uh, many of us have joyful thoughts uh, and joyful memories uh, mixed with sorrow and painful memories uh, and everything in between when it comes to Mother's Day. It's, uh, it's a day of great rejoicing. We should celebrate our moms. My prayer is that our moms would know uh, the love and comfort of the Lord in all seasons, in the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, that you would rejoice in His goodness to you and know His love in the sorrows. Kids, do not take your moms for granted. Moms are a gift to you. Do you know that? That your mom is a gift to you? Do you tell your mom what a great gift she is to you? You ever tell your mom that? Kids, what, what are some of your favorite things about your moms? Tell me something that's your favorite thing about your mom. You raised your hand. Go ahead. She makes cookies. She washes your clothes. If there were not moms, our clothes would be dirty all the time. Yes? If you don't have anything to say... She lets us cook with her. Okay, what else? What do you love about your moms? Everybody, all you kids, tell me. Something from over on that side of the room. Come on. Oh, mom who prays for you. Yes. Yeah, what else? Come on. Call it out. This is a chance to just shout out in the middle of a church service. What? Say it. She tucks you in at night. Do your, mom, do your moms tuck you in at night? Give you a big hug and kiss before bedtime? Tell you they love you? Yeah, there's, that's enough from that one kid. He... <laughs> All right, well, you should make sure you tell. Oh, go ahead, Cole, you got another? She plays with you. She's fun. You have fun moms? Some moms are fun. Oh, oh, Shelly, I see you over there. Go ahead. She takes you to the beach. I know your mom takes you to the beach a lot, right? That's, uh, that's, that's mom's favorite spot. Is that correct? It's, uh, yeah. Good, good. Make sure you tell your moms how thankful you are for them. Make sure you take care of them. Not just one day out of the year either. Uh, over at Joy Community Fellowship of Pittman this morning... Larry is wrapping up the book of John, which if you are a part of the plant team from Joy Community Fellowship of, of Pittman, uh, you know that you were there for the first year of that sermon series. So uh, it has been a little while, three and a half years uh, that we have gone through the book of John. We've had a few detours along the way. But as I considered what I wanted to preach on this morning, my mind uh, was brought to one point 
One little point of a sermon that I preached about a month ago that I wished I had more time to develop. And on this Mother's Day, I thought it would be appropriate for us to consider together a poignant scene from John chapter 19. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up to John chapter 19. In this scene, John uh, recounts, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, with his dying breaths, this is literally going to be the last thing that he says before he says, well, he's going to say, I'm thirsty, and then it is finished. But right before that, the last thing that John counts, recounts him saying, he takes the time to care for his mother. So we're going to read uh, John chapter 19. I'm actually going to read from the end of verse 24 through 27. And we're going to consider four things briefly this morning. Jesus' physical care for his mother. Jesus' spiritual care for his mother. The fact that Jesus cared while he suffered. And the fact that Jesus provided a care for his mother and us that only he can provide. And I want you to see this morning, brothers and sisters, that the earthly lives of his people matter to Jesus. The earthly lives of his people matter. Jesus is not a savior who says, uh, everything on earth is insignificant. Nothing on this earth matters. He cared for his mom to the point of death. He cares for the physical needs of his people. And beyond that, he cares for the spiritual and the eternal needs of his people. He is a gentle and merciful Savior. Great song to sing leading into the sermon. Jesus strong and kind. If you're here today and, and do not consider yourself to be a believer in Jesus... As Lord and Savior, I pray that you would hear the gospel, see this loving Savior, this caring Savior, and believe today. So, let's read John 19, the end of 24. So, so where it says, so the soldiers, uh, they have just divided up his clothing. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, that you are a loving and merciful Savior that you care for our needs, even to the point of death. Father, I pray that my words would be faithful to your word, that our hearts would be receptive to your word, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would be glorified in this time. Work by your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, most commentators seem to agree that Mary was a widow at this point in the narrative. 
Uh, There's no mention of Joseph's life beyond the birth narrative. Yes, Joseph is mentioned uh, as Jesus' father in Luke chapter 4. He's mentioned as Jesus' father when Jesus Uh, in John chapter 6, when Jesus is having a confrontation with the Jewish leaders. Uh, But we see no recollection, recounting of anything about Joseph's involvement in Jesus' life or ministry beyond the birth narrative. Uh, And certainly, Jesus would feel under no compulsion to care for Mary in the way that he does in this passage if Joseph were still around. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Uh, which brings me to a sidebar question that when I, when I was studying for my sermon at Joy, I preached the whole passage, like 17 to 28, and I thought, like, this is insignificant little detail. And every commentary I read had lengthy stuff about how many women are at the cross. How many women are standing at the cross? Read that passage, and you, you have to tell me how many you think are standing at the cross. How many do you think? Call it out. Four. Three. Any other guesses? I got three. I got four. Anybody want to go for two? It could be two. It could be three. It could be four. So he could be saying uh, his mother and his mother's sister. Now let me tell you their names. I think that that is not correct. I think that that is not, it's not two. I'm eliminating two. Some people think, okay, his mother, and then Mary, the wife of Clopas, is the modifier of his mother's sister. So there'd be three. I'm saying no. I'm saying no to three. I'm I'm going four, there are four women at the cross. Now, one that I think we can certainly eliminate is the two option. Because then that would be describing Mary, Jesus' mother, as the wife of another man at this point. So, which would have been totally fine if she was a widow who remarried. But again, why would Jesus feel the need to care for her in this way? If she had a husband. So we're going to go with four women are standing at the cross. And Jesus is taking care of his mother who is a widow. I'm sure that you may know uh, the cultural ramifications of being a widow in that culture would be huge. Uh, Easy for them to become outcasts, neglected, even impoverished, even uh, unable to get work or or food. Uh, She needed to come under the shelter of a husband or a son where she would face the reality of being an outcast with very little value to society in general. Jesus ensures that that will not be the case. Please take note here in this passage that Jesus takes care of Mary and not vice versa. He is the superior who cares for the weak and needy. Jesus is the one who is caring. Mary was indeed highly favored, but she was every bit as needy of the mercy of Jesus as any of us are. A question comes to mind, as you, maybe as you read this passage, why is Jesus entrusting Mary to John and not his siblings? We know he has siblings, right? Why isn't Jesus entrusting Mary to their care? 
I think there's two reasons, one of which I'll get to in this point and one of which I'll get to in the next point. And the simplest reason, they weren't there. They weren't there. It sounds very simplistic, but this scene takes place during the Passover feast. This will be one of the three great feasts of the Jewish people throughout the year when they would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem and celebrate for a week and then go back to their homes and villages. And his brothers were not there. They didn't live nearby, but it would have been extremely common for the pilgrimage to be made. They did not. They were not there in their brother's hour of need. They were not there for the feast. And John was. The disciple whom Jesus loved was. Jesus' physical provision for Mary in this scene is a living picture of the call upon faithful children. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. First Timothy chapter five. This is Paul's words to Timothy, starting in verse three. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are strong Strong words. The believer who does not show godliness to their own household is worse than an unbeliever. How? How's that possible? I think Paul is saying this person's behavior is worse than than the world would behave. The world takes care of their own. And you're you're going to leave one who is in desperate need and not care for them, not look after them, not protect them? If those who have no faith seek the care of their families, how much more those within the church? And here, Jesus acts as the perfect older brother. The scriptures are filled with examples of bad older brothers. All right, kids, I got another question for you. Can you tell me any bad older brothers in the Bible? Not bad older brothers in this room. Bad older brothers in the Bible. Oh, which one of them was the bad one? Cain was very bad older brother, right? He did not treat his brother well, did he? Didn't respect his family. Joseph's brothers, were they pretty bad? Anybody ever thought about selling your uh, brother or sister into slavery? Right, exactly. That's a good older brother. Very good, Jared. Any others? Any other bad older brothers you see in the Bible? You don't have to go far in the book of Genesis. You stay right there. You can find some more. How about... Which one? The other one. Who's the other one? 
Esau. Yes. Very good. There's lots of, uh, we could keep going. I've, there's a long list. The Bible is filled with stories of failed older brothers over and over and over again. And I would tell you that God has been telling that story to direct our eyes, to, to direct our hope to one day when an older brother would come who, was, who did what was right. When an older brother would show up on the scene who would care for his family the way he was supposed to. Why does Jesus tell the story of the prodigal son? Now, part of it is to talk about the failure of the older brother. That, he was telling it to the older brother. And here Jesus acts as the perfect older brother by taking care of his mom until the point of death. He makes sure that before he dies, she will be well cared for. He does this not only as our example, because we should use this as our example, but he also does this first and primarily as our righteousness. His perfect obedience in this moment counts on our behalf through faith. For all the ways that we have failed to be the children that we ought to be, the children of God that we ought to be. Jesus here does it perfectly. Where we have fallen short, He never does. He is our righteousness and our example in this moment. So we see Jesus' physical care for Mary. But the second reason I believe that Jesus does not entrust the care of Mary to His siblings at this point is because he was also caring for Mary spiritually in this scene. To this point in the narrative, Jesus' siblings did not believe that he was the Messiah. We, we even see in Scripture they thought he was out of his mind, right? They tried to stop him from doing what he was doing. They seem, even like in John chapter 7, it seems like they're mocking him. Like, why don't you go and show yourself to everybody at, at the feast? You know, that they, they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. In spite of lots of evidence that he was telling the truth. I just want to stop there for a second. Jesus, Jesus, we know who Jesus is, right? Son of God. Eternal, second person of the Trinity. Jesus had siblings who did not believe. This isn't the main point of today's text, or even a point of today's text, but it was striking to me. It bears noting that the Lord himself had siblings who did not believe while he walked the earth. What greater proof do we need that spiritual blindness is real and miraculous work by the power of the Holy Spirit is needed through the preaching of the gospel, for blind eyes to see, right? God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Darkness. Light shines in and transforms. Jesus' own siblings needed a miraculous work to transform them. It's not just like, well, you were around Jesus, so of course you believed in him. Nope. Something miraculous had to happen for them to believe. By entrusting Mary to John, 
and by one other act that we're going to get to a little later, Jesus shows the significance of caring for the souls of the hurting and lowly, not just their physical needs. While the world may marginalize some, downplay the importance of some, forget some, it must not be so within the church. Why do we advocate for the end of abortion? Why, why are we rejoicing that possibly, that there's possibility that, that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned? Even though we know that that in itself will not end everything wrong or every abortion. Why do we rejoice in those things? Why do we advocate for those things? Why do we advocate for care for orphans, for adoption? Why do we advocate for the care of the widowed? the poor among us, the chronically ill, because the church is a people bought by the blood of Christ, all meant to experience the joy of salvation together. All providing for one another so that we may continue to worship and glorify the Lord together. Mother's Day is is a great example. On this day, we are a gathering of the rejoicing and the grieving. In real and deep ways. This day highlights both amazing times of happiness and bitter pain. And we gather here to find refuge and hope and strength and comfort and love and reminders of the goodness of Jesus Christ. There is such beauty to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is made up of young and old, strong and weak, needy and wealthy, differing gifts and talents, various life stages. That's a sign of health. The Lord brings together a diverse group that we can care for one another in all seasons of life. We're not all going through the same exact things together, but we are going through them together. And Jesus, by giving Mary to John, is saying, I want want her to be cared for in that way, that the church would be a shelter for Mary, that the people of God would be a shelter for Mary. Mary may be forgotten by society, but through Jesus she would not be forgotten by the church. We need to be reminded of that. Uh, We read a book, our deacon team read a book a couple years ago uh, called, uh, amazingly creative title, The Deacon. Uh, And and it's by a guy named Cornelis Van Dam. And he talks about the ministry of the deacon board being to help, not just the deacon board, but the church as a whole, but the deacons leading it, to help everybody be able to rejoice more in the joy of their salvation by having some of their physical needs and care alleviated. That they be able to come and take a a deep breath as they gather and say, there's safety here. There's peace here. Refuge here because of the gospel of Christ. To rejoice in the joy of their salvation. And here Jesus is saying, I want Mary to be cared for in that way. Not just physically, but spiritually. And John is obedient. 
He says it here. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. John becomes a living picture of Christ's call upon his church. Not one is to be forgotten among us. All are valuable in the family of Christ. All must celebrate the joy of salvation and hope. All right, I should move on. It's startling to consider. This is, I've moved into point three here. Jesus caring while he suffers. It's startling to consider what Jesus is going through here. And yet he cares for his mom. For now, just consider the physical agony that he is in. The beatings. The hands and feet pierced. The suffocation he was slowly enduring. That's how you die when you hang on a cross. You suffocate. As Jesus gasped for air, drawing his final breaths, he makes sure his mom is taken care of. It feels like this should be going the opposite way. Shouldn't these people be attending to him? But here the suffering servant serves even in the midst of his suffering. And to put it in perspective, I, I have a difficult time serving others when I have a cold. Like, right? I, maybe I'm the only one. But like, I have a cold. Like, I, don't bother me. Like, how dare you ask me any? Do you know? Do you understand the agony that I am in when, when I have a cold? Anybody, anybody like that? Or is it just me? Like, I need to, you need to pamper me. This is going to take a few days. Here we have our Savior in the greatest, I mean, we haven't gotten to the real suffering. You know, he, he is physically suffering. He's also spiritually suffering at this moment. Uh, and I don't want to take this particular point too far but we are a people who can get consumed by our own suffering and struggles, real suffering and real struggles, or at times maybe perceived suffering and perceived struggles that we miss opportunities to love others and be blessed as we suffer. And I say that with trepidation because I am not saying, hey, buddy, you know, everybody has hard times, suck it up and move on. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that even in the midst of hardship in our lives, there is a blessedness to serving others. A rejoicing that we can experience as we suffer and serve while we suffer. Our Savior modeled that, serving as he suffered. He washed his disciples' feet just a few hours before that, including Judas. He preached the gospel at great cost. He cared for his mother as he hung on the cross. But that's not the point of emphasis I want to leave us with this morning. I don't want you to take this morning's passage and simply say, all right, so all right, we're leaving here today, and the message I got was, how can I serve my family and my church better? Uh, how can I do it even if I'm suffering? 
Those are great questions to ponder. Those are great application questions for you to consider, maybe in small groups or as you're eating lunch. How can I serve better? How can the whole body rejoice in the joy of salvation together? How can I continue to serve even if I am going through hard times myself? If the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you have not loved and served your own family or your church family well, if you have found excuses to ignore what Christ clearly calls you to, then you must repent of these things. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would have his work in you. But beyond a shadow of a doubt, what I want to leave us with this morning, we are meant to see most ultimately the glory of Jesus caring for his own to the point of death, doing what he alone can do. He had cared for Mary's physical needs. He had cared for her spiritual needs in the here and now. But by the very nature of what he was doing in this moment, he was caring for her physical and spiritual needs in ways that she could not yet understand. Mary had heard from an angel. Remember that in the Bible? Mary had heard from an angel about Jesus. She had heard prophecies made about Jesus, right? The eighth day, Simeon and Anna come in. Yes, the Lord's salvation has arrived. She had seen his ministry. Yet, what could prepare any mother for this scene? Mary herself had moments of uncertainty as Jesus ministered. She heard from an angel and she had moments of uncertainty. Yet here she is at the foot of the cross. Can you picture it? She's watching her son die. She's undoubtedly distraught. And in this moment, she is being loved by her son by his suffering and death. She may not know it yet, but she will soon. Mary, don't lose heart. Your boy is dying for you. We can marvel at the temporal, the, the earthly provisions that Jesus makes for his mom in this scene, and we should. But with our last few minutes this morning, let's marvel at the eternal provisions he was making for Mary and for us, without which we have no hope. In this moment, Jesus is completing. You are watching, listening to, reading about the final moments of his perfect life of obedience to the heavenly, his heavenly Father. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These are the last moments of that obedient earthly life. Jesus perfectly obeyed Every command of God the Father from the heart all the time, up to and including laying his life down on a cruel Roman cross. 
he obeyed that all who live with disobedience on their record. How many of us have disobedience on our record? A couple of you, all right. The rest of you, I want to speak with you afterward. He lived a life of perfect obedience that we who have a record of disobedience, how frequently have, gone, have we gone astray? All who have that record may have the hope of this life, his life, counting on our behalf. His obedience counting on our behalf. He, in this moment, is providing a sacrificial death. He is suffering as the perfect Passover lamb. He is paying the penalty. He is absorbing the punishment for our sin. We talked about the physical agony. What about the agony of separation from the Father? What about the agony of being the sin offering, the scapegoat? The perfect Passover lamb who bears the penalty of our sin. Paying for our rejection. For our efforts to love that fall woefully short. For all of our lack of love for God and for others. Jesus is dying here to receive the punishment for those. For all who will believe. Isaiah chapter 53, you don't have to, I'm going to flip to a few different ones. Just, just a reminder of the work that's being done here. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, just consider what's happening in this moment. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. The, the record of debt that stood against us, nailed to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. The rulers and authorities, our enemy, put to open shame through the death of Jesus Christ at the cross, our record of debt canceled. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, likewise, Jesus, partook of the same things, that through death 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All of this is happening at the cross. He is sacrificing his life that we might live, that our sins might be atoned for, that the enemy might be defeated. A perfect life of obedience, a sacrificial death. In this moment, Jesus is also giving his mother an earthly home while simultaneously defeating the powers of darkness and the grip of sin to provide for his mom and for us a room in the Father's house. In my Father's house are many rooms, Jesus said. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the way of preparation went through the cross. It is beautiful that Mary had a home with John, but it is glorious that Mary would have a place to dwell forever. A home in the heavens made without hands when her earthly tent would be torn down. Do you know that hope today, brothers and sisters? Not just of earthly provision, but of eternal provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends here who have not believed in Jesus, there is real hope to be found at the cross. Forgiveness of sins, debt to God canceled, the perfect life of Jesus credited to your account. That's an amazing thing right there. When the Father looks at us, He sees the perfect life of His Son. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we would become the righteousness, we might be called the righteousness of God in him. We're called the righteousness of God in Christ. We don't feel that way. We are. The perfect life of Jesus credited to your account. And because of what would happen a few days later, Jesus is not going to stay dead. Spoiler alert. He will rise truly, physically. Because of that, the hope of provision, not just in this life, but, but forever. That's a hope we have. And the final takeaway I have from this morning's passage, and then I'll wrap it up, is that Jesus protects those who are his. He protects those who are his in a way that no one else can. To his very dying breath, he cared for his mom. And it's good to know the protective care of the Lord Jesus. Mary would be safe. And we too can know safety in the shelter that Jesus provides. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those are the words of Moses in Psalm 91. As Jesus hangs upon the cross, and, and as these women and John possibly quite literally stand in the shadow of the cross, he is providing the ultimate protection for his people. Jesus dies to become the place of shelter for his people, sheltering us from the righteous wrath of God against our sin. 
He takes the beating that we deserve. He bears the disgrace that we have earned. He pays the penalty for our sin. He provides the answer to the correct accusations of the devil that all our debts are paid in full through his death. He shelters his people here and now through fiery trials and is with us when our faith is tested. He will provide the protective care that we need until we reach the beautiful shores of eternity where he will remain our shelter forever. Revelation chapter 7. I I, I love this verse. I had the privilege of preaching on this verse at a funeral recently. Revelation chapter 7, the song of heaven, verse 15. These are the people who have washed their their garments in the blood of the Lamb, and they say, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. He is our shelter, our protector. Jesus protects Mary, and He protects us by means of this inglorious death. He bears our disgrace so that all who believe will be safe, now and forever safe. Safe from the enemy's accusations, safe in all that this life throws at us. And because this one who died was raised in victory on the third day, we are safe with him forever. The good shepherd lays down his life to make sure that his sheep are forever safe. Trust in Him today. And on this Mother's Day, rejoice. Your Savior never forgets His own. Never. He loves His own. He shelters His own. He saves His own. He cared for Mary. And He cares for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your loving care. Thank You for... Jesus, for your example of caring for your mother and for caring for your church. We know you have laid down your life for your bride, the church. May we be a living testament by the power of your Holy Spirit that we would care for one another, that we would care for our families, that we would love. But we thank you first and foremost, Jesus, that you are our righteousness and our hope. You are much more than our example. We need you and your perfect obedience and your perfect sacrifice. Count on behalf of all who believe, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope of protection here and now and into all of eternity. May we rejoice in that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.